no matter what happens in my life, I could always look back and say, God, you you were there. You came through only in the way that you could, because there was no human hands could have done what you did for me. This is The Unseen Story, firsthand accounts that reveal God's love and power in the lives of His children. What God has done for our storytellers, He lives to do for you. The Unseen Story is a nonprofit that relies on financial support from listeners like you. Please visit our website, theunseenstory.org, to find out how you can partner with us today. Feeling like you don't belong can be extremely isolating. And in a divisive world, it can be hard to know exactly where you fit in. In today's episode, Eve shares how God took him from refugee to chosen in citizen of heaven. My name is Eve. I was born in a war zone in south of Congo. Uh, my family left because of the war that had been happening and affected my family in a very personal way. We had soldiers come into our home uh, that one night and pretty much beating my dad up in front of us and asking questions he knew nothing about. They told my dad that if we try to move, they'll kill us and they'll put soldiers outside in the streets to make sure we don't leave. So we didn't know if they were bluffing or serious. Um, My dad made a call right after they left for somebody to come and pick us up behind the house. So we had, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to get ourselves together and get whatever we could and got, and got out. You know, we left that night, and that's how we ended up in a refugee camp. So there were seven of us that lived in a 10 by 10 tent. And um, you know, it's the kind of tent that you have to hunch to get in and out. It became normal for some reason because it was normal for everybody who was in that camp. I considered us pretty lucky to be able to fit ourselves and everything we owned in that small space. Every month we had to line up to receive a portion of meals. Sometimes that would take two or three days. And we keep replacing each other in line until we got our rations. So um, it was just then when we realized we couldn't survive life in a refugee camp because we're dealing with people who are coming from Somalia in a camp, people from Rwanda. So after the genocide happened in Rwanda, so you have those Rwandans in a camp with us. We have Congolese who came from war or also ran away from war. You get people from Angola who was also going through a civil war at the time, all in that camp. Then my dad decided that we can sell half of our portion of our meals to the surrounding villages outside of the camp so that we can start accumulating some money so we could get out. Which means is that we had to eat once a day. For a whole year, we ate once a day because we took half of our food away. We sold it. And that was my job, to go and sell rice. I'd walk with a sack of rice as a 12-year-old on my back I'd walk about 10 to 15 miles a day. And uh, that's what I did. And I loved every moment of it because there were times it was really hard because I had to get up at like 4 in the morning. There were places I ended up where I should never have ended up. There were some, a lot of scary things. 
wild animals. There was all these kind of things that I had, I had run into. But there was never a fear. It was always a joy because I knew that this is one way we get to get out of this hell we were trapped in. And eventually we ended up getting out of the camp. We sneaked out one morning, never looked back, went through Mozambique and ended up in South Africa. This was just after apartheid. Uh, Nelson Mandela just became president. This is first time facing racism. First time being looked down upon because of your skin color. I didn't understand it. Um, it was, this was 1999. I was 17 years old. Uh, our family was torn apart in all sorts of ways, spiritually, emotionally, even physically in some ways. Um, it was in September, and there was this uh, organization, uh, ministry called, uh, uh, with Matt Redman and Mike Pilavachi from England, uh, the Cold Soul Survivor. Uh, a friend of ours, a family friend, came, and uh, he invited us, invited me and my older sister to this dinner. I'm like, I was like, free food? <laughs> we haven't, you know, we didn't have any food in the house. I was like, yeah, I'll go. And that was the first time I encountered love because South Africa at the time had been a place where apartheid just ended a couple of years back. So segregation was so pronounced in the culture. So for the first time experiencing acceptance with the guys from Soul Survivor, we ate and broke bread. And the next day, uh, Matt, they came up to me and, and invited me to this camp thing they were doing. I didn't really know what it was about, but I knew I wanted to be around them because I've never experienced anything like that, not from my family, not from anybody. So I remember Mike Pilavachi got up and preached about Jesus and his disciples. I was a teenager, they were teenagers, so there was like a point of understanding. I'm like, oh, I didn't know this was a fact. And he went on and preached about this great king of kings and who died for me. How that impacted me I think changed everything because I grew up thinking I was nobody. I was born in a war zone, forgotten. As far as I'm concerned, I was supposed to be dead and forgotten. Knowing that this king died for me and here I was trying to even convince some people that I am human. So that transformed my trajectory in life. Um, I find my purpose in life on that moment with God. And I wept the whole week. I was literally crying. But it felt like um, like waves coming in of his understanding of how much he loved me. I was just I'm like, how, how is this possible? Yeah, my salvation was never about, I was a sinner and I did this and I was in drugs and I did that. I was just lost and and he gave me meaning and put a robe around my my body and told me that I'm his and he's mine. And that was the beginning of that.
after I graduated from school, uh, high school, uh, I, I went to uh, college, University of Natal in Durban, South Africa. Towards the end of that first year in college, uh, God told me to, uh, to change my major into media and communications. And I've always tried to stay true to the call of God, no matter what it cost. And, um, and I didn't realize how much it would cost me later when in my third year in media and communications, because uh, this prompting of moving to the U.S. was always so strong. It was almost um, like falling in love with a girl. Every time you'd hear a name, this, your stomach would be filled with butterflies and it would just like freeze you a little bit and you lose your breath for a second. And I couldn't explain it. And uh, the opportunity came where they were offering two Fulbright scholarships for two South African students, citizens, to move from, the, uh, from South Africa to, to Southern California to go and finish and complete their, their studies there. And, but the caveat was that it was only for South African citizens. And I remember sitting with my dad one of the most optimistic men I know. Uh, we were sitting in a one-bedroom apartment, all you know, all seven of us. Um, him and I were watching soccer, and I was telling him about this opportunity and how awesome it would have been if I was a South African citizen, because we had refugee status, we had no passport, we had nothing, and uh, and he said, "Well, why don't you just apply for it?" I never really understood how he said it because it pissed me off because um, I was like, Dad, you don't be ignorant. I just told you why. But he's like, no, I'm not being ignorant. And said uh, these words that literally changed my life too. He said, uh, you know, I've taken my family from war-torn countries into refugee camps on a promise of God for you guys. And I remember praying that morning, the next morning, and God saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is you. I remember God saying, this is yours, and I just felt so scared. I'm like, what? How is that even possible? Because I'm standing on this side, and there is a giant sea down below, and there is a huge mountain across it. I don't see how this is possible. But the more I challenge God, the more I challenge back and say, go and apply so there was two weeks, and I made it a point to go to the scholarship's office every day, a couple times a day, to let them know that I want to apply and for, for them to accept my application. They hated me. I mean, I went there every day. Um, my friends thought I was an idiot. Some of my family members thought I was an idiot. But I was... I just know that I knew that the Holy Spirit was prompting me to do so. And the more I did it, the more crazier it became. I remember going in the last day, they actually accept my application. There were a couple hundred students that applied for it, they were only selecting two students. I, I didn't even want to imagine winning this thing because there was so much that wasn't, was against me. And it would be out of 
it wouldn't be man-made if that was going to happen. And I, and I said to God, I'm going to let go of the responsibility of making this happen. I literally just became obedient to what you told me. And that was that. I forgot about it. Two months later, the news came out. The, the two students have been selected. They released one name that morning I was in class. And everybody was freaking out who's the other student. And I remember uh, running to the scholarship's office um, right after class and came to find out my name was the next name on the list. And, uh, you know, that, that was... It, it's that, you know, you know we serve God, right? We, we go with, we, we, we do life with him every day. But in moments like those, it's like, it's, it's actually real. God, God, you really, 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 really are real. This is, this is insane. This is crazy. I mean, it was so shocking that a lot of people couldn't understand it. We had friends who wanted to double check and make sure, are you sure you're not crazy? I'm like, no, it happened. I got the scholarship. And then so it's like, okay, that's half of the battle, right? Let's go back to the facts. I was a refugee. I wasn't a South African citizen. That means I didn't have a passport. I couldn't get a South African passport. I couldn't get a Congolese passport. If I tried to, it would violate the fact that I had refugee status in South Africa. So uh, time was going by and I was starting to miss I was starting to miss the first week of classes in California and I'm freaking out I don't know what to do and everybody around me was like we told you this is crazy what are you doing even if you got the scholarship so what and um, again I was leaning a lot in the Holy Spirit than I ever did before my faith in God was uncompromised because I knew that only in him things made sense. So we lived in Durban, South Africa. There was a couple of days left, a week left. Um, I remember talking to my parents, I'm gonna go to the capital city, which is in Pretoria, and try to see if I can come up with some sort of passport so I can get a visa and go. And when I got in Pretoria, I remember the Holy Spirit prompting me to go to, go to the Congolese embassy and I knew what that meant. That meant I would violate my refugee status and I could be kicked out of the country and there's no way coming in. There's no way to come back in. And yet there was so much peace. I know my, my, some of my family members freaked out. It's like, what are you doing? You know, they generally thought I was, uh, I was having a mental breakdown. Maybe I was, I don't know. But... Maybe I was mentally, but spiritually, I was fit. I was on point. I was. I had so much clarity and peace in making those decisions. Even sometimes my emotions would freak out, but I knew that leaning on God would get me to where I need to. I needed to go. I remember going to the embassy and telling them my story, and they told me I could apply, but at my own risk. And, but this is like, well, this was like a Tuesday. 
and my flight was for the next, the following Tuesday. And so there was, a, there was a question, how long is this passport gonna take? And that day was the last day they told me that if I apply, I'll get my passport two days later. It was a program they had going and it's never happened again. I got my passport two, day, passport two days later. I got in a bus all night long and got back to Durban and took it to the embassy, the U.S. consulate in, in Durban. Um, but the, it happens to be an American holiday, which was a Friday. And they told me I have to go back on Monday. So a whole weekend goes by, freaking out. My bag's half-packed. I don't even know if I'm going to get it because Congolese passport was problematic because Congo is at war. Most of the time, the U.S. doesn't really give you a visa if your country is at war because it's... It's a weird thing. I don't understand it fully. I waited for six hours before I got an interview with an immigration officer. I mean, it was, it was tough for an hour and a half. I was exhausted, really walking out feeling like, yeah, I probably didn't get it. And they told me that I needed to call my school for them to send an additional fax and they were can wear in my decision and let me know on Tuesday morning whether I was going to get my visa or not. My flight is for 3 p.m. out of Durban, South Africa. At 9 a.m., I'm at the U.S. consulate waiting for them to tell me what's going to happen. And I remember walking in. My, I, I, that morning, actually, before I went in, I woke up at 5 a.m., outside our, our little apartment. I was pacing back and forth, literally praying. I've, I just remember feeling heaven close to me in that place. I've never felt so much faith, so much favor in God because I knew that's the only place that made sense. My phys- physical realm was questionable with everything that has happened thus far. But even though there were signs of God saying, I came through there, I'll come through here. But I'm like, do I have faith for that though? This is a large one. This is huge, God. This is, I'm just not going. This, this is going to change my whole life right now. And um, anyway, I'm standing in front of the booth and the guy comes and says, okay, well, I can help you. I'm like, well, I'm here because I wanted to know if the facts came through and what's the decision on my case. He was like, what facts? He, he felt, the immigration officer felt a little bit annoyed with me for some reason. I didn't understand. And he walks in the back uh, for like five minutes. It felt like eternity, honestly. I was praying, interceding under my breath, just praying. because God, I need you here. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I felt I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't feel my body. I was just felt. I felt so disconnected. And I remember he put all my stuff, all my stuff on his uh, booth on his desk, and he looked at me firmly. It's like, okay, Mr. Moya, it's only gonna take five minutes to process your visa. In the fall of uh, 2006, I left Africa, and just how God promised and he provided no matter what happens in my life I could always look back and say God you you were there 
you came through only in the way that you could because there was no human hands could have done what you did for me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of Eve's incredible story. We encourage you to ask Holy Spirit what He wants to say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers, we are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share His stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website, theunseenstory.org. Thanks so much for listening.